Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, we've been looking... We've been spending some time in Acts chapter 2, specifically in verses 42 through 47, looking at the marks of an empowered church. And we've looked at several of them already. We looked and saw a commitment to the Word of God. And let me just stop for a moment. I need to remind you, when we talk about a church that is committed to the Word of God, we're not talking about that the church just simply says, I believe, and therefore I am committed to, as a church we're committed to it, it means that you yourselves individually are committed to the Word of God. That's how a church becomes committed to the Word of God, is that you are committed to it. We also saw then that it was a church that was devoted to each other. It was a community that had fellowship with one another. Not just getting together for food, but they were there for each other, for encouragement and strengthening. We've also seen that it was a church that was not just committed to those two things, it was a church that was committed to cross-centered worship, that the worship of their heart, whether it was inward or outward towards each other or upward towards God, was focused on the cross of Jesus Christ. And we see that especially through the Lord's table, the breaking of bread. Now we're going to see that they were devoted to another aspect, and it's an aspect that we take for granted. It's an aspect that we used when we need it, but as far as our everyday lives, we don't do it. But they were committed to prayer. Notice what it says there, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly, and he gives a series of things that they continued steadfastly, in the apostles' doctrine, and in fellowships, and in breaking of bread. And then notice, here's the point I want you to see. And in prayers. These folks, this church, this empowered church of this very first right there in Pentecost, they committed themselves to praying. To praying. I want you to think for a moment. I mean, isn't it true that a lot of us struggle with our prayer life? Let's just be honest. We do struggle. But have you ever noticed that, what would your relationships be? Let's think about you as your spousal relationships or your relationships with your kids. What would your relationships be if you just quit talking to each other? What would they be like? How far would you get? Wouldn't get far at all. Not at all. It wouldn't go anywhere. If you just stopped talking to each other, it would just end. But I want you to think about that. A lot of us here, we struggle with, Lord, I want to grow closer to you. I want to have more of you in my life. But then the very dynamic for you to interact with him, you don't even use it. You don't pray with him. I mean, if you, how far are you going to get in your relationship with God if you're not praying? If you're not talking with him? Let me just stop for a moment. When I talk about prayer, I've got to make a distinction in your mind. You may want to write this down. Prayer is not a religious act. Prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is not a religious act. Prayer is conversation with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we talk about praying, we're not talking about performing a religious act. Well, Lord, I spent some time in prayer with you today. How far does that go over in your relation? Honey, I spent some time talking with you today. I mean, you don't talk like that to your spouse, do you? You wouldn't even think of talking like that. I mean, if you talk like that, you're in trouble. Right? I mean, think about it. Well, I've already given you five minutes today, sweetie. 
It's not going to go anywhere, is it? But then we do that with God, don't we? God, I already gave you my time this morning, which was what? Five minutes. See, we've got to begin to realize that we're not talking about a religious act. These folks were not engaged in religious acts. They were engaged in a changed life, and part of that changed life was a recognition that they were talking to God, who was part of their life, who was living within them. The Holy Spirit was within them. And so you've got to change your viewpoint about prayer. Prayer is so important. The late Jerry Falwell used to say this. This is a powerful point. You may want to write this down. Nothing of eternal consequence is ever, is ever accomplished apart from prayer. Nothing of eternal consequence is ever accomplished apart from prayer. See, here's the thing. This is what we're living for is what? Is for eternity. We're here to make a mark for eternity. We want to see souls changed for eternity. We want to see people changed in Jesus Christ for eternity, right? But it isn't going to happen until we what? Pray. You know what? Here's the thing. I want you to see this with me for a moment because, you know, God is beginning to work in my heart about our church and giving me a glimpse of what we could be and what we can do in our community. And the, the reaching out towards others and the reaching out towards people. But the only way that's going to be accomplished, the only way that our church is going to reach out to the people that are around us who are normal now, that's normal. The new norm, isn't it? The only way that's going to happen is for us to begin to start praying and saying, God, use us to reach people for Jesus. Use us. See, it's so important for us to pray. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about prayer. But we're not just going to talk about prayer because here's the default that we do in our prayer life. Have you noticed that when we do pray, we tend to pray in terms of only three things. Me, myself, and I. We're selfish in our prayers. Most of our time when we pray is spent talking about who? Ourselves. God, I need this. God, I need you to do that. And if we do pray about somebody else, we're praying about somebody else with reference to how it is affecting who? Ourselves. God, I need you to deal with my boss. God, I need you to deal with this. God, I need you to do this. God, I need... And it all has to do with ourselves. Have you noticed that when we pray, our prayers are what? Selfish. You may want to write that down. Our prayers tend to be selfish. But what we're going to talk about is not... Selfish prayers, because when you talk about a church that's marked by prayer, we're not talking about a church that's marked by selfish prayers, where we just pray about ourselves. We're talking about a church that's marked by intercessory prayer, where we pray for others. You understand? Because we've got to get our focus off ourselves and begin to focus on others. We've got to begin to focus on the people who are around us, who live around us, who, who are in your neighborhoods, who you work with. We've got to start praying for them, not selfishly. Well, I guess there is one selfishness that I think God would be okay with, and that is that we selfishly want them to come to Christ. But we've got to begin to be intercessors, talking with God about other people for their sake. So I want you to notice with me. Turn over now. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at eight verses. The Apostle Paul here is writing, He's writing to Timothy, and he gives this instruction. I want you to notice with me, verse 1, he says this, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, 
for kings and all who, who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in the faith and in truth. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We're going to look at several things here. First of all, the encouragement I want you to see. A couple of things he's telling us here. The first thing he's telling us is this. We are to pray and give thanks. We are to pray and give thanks. I want you to notice something. This is very interesting. Look at what he says here. Therefore I exhort, first of all, first thing he's going to say to them as an encouragement, first thing he's saying to Peter as an encouragement, the very first thing I want you to do, Peter, is this. I want you to give and be in prayer. I want you to be in supplication. And I want you to be in intercession. Now you say, what's the difference between the three of those? Prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. What's the difference? There is no difference. They're all the same thing. He's basically saying it three different ways to make the point. He wants you and I to be a praying people. He wants us to pray. He wants us to talk to God. Now, I want you to notice something here because he couples it with something else. He couples it with the giving of thanks. In fact, if you go over to Philippians, my, one of my, if you talk to me, oftentimes I will give you this verse as an encouragement to you. I'll say to you, remember... Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, what? With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Here's my point. With the aspect of prayer has to be an aspect of thanksgiving. So let me just stop for a moment. Some of you here will say, I struggle with my prayer life. How many of you are like that? I'll raise my hand. We all struggle with our prayer life, right? Can I tell you one of the reasons why we struggle? Because we're leaving something out. What we're leaving out is thanksgiving. Say, what do you mean? Listen, think about it for a moment. How apt are you to go and talk with God if you're a thankful person and you've already are going to Him and thanking Him for the things that He's done and then you're going to go to Him and talk to Him about the things you want Him to do? See how they go together? You're thanking Him for the things that He's done, recognizing His faithfulness, that He is there to watch over you. He's going to take care of you. And then you go to Him and you say to Him, Lord, I need you to do this now. I need you to work in this person's life. This person needs to come to Christ. Lord, give me wisdom to know how to reach my neighbors. Lord, give us wisdom as a church to know how to reach our community. Lord, how do we do it? But then we go and we say, Lord, thank you, because I know you're going to show us. See, it's a mindset What's happening here is the thankful mindset of recognizing who God is and that He's going to answer your prayers. Because how many times when we pray, we wonder, is He going to hear us? Isn't that true? We have doubts that flood our mind. We have doubts that come into our thinking. And we wonder, God, are you hearing me? God, are you going to answer my prayers? But when you enter into it with thanksgiving, here's what you do when you do thanksgiving. You are recounting what God has already done for you. You are recounting what God has already done for you. See, it builds confidence in God. See, we are to pray and give thanks. See, listen, my friends, the issue is, is we're not giving thanks. That's why we're not praying. 
We're not remembering the things he's done for us. Well, you might be saying, well, well, you know, George, hey, he hasn't done anything for me here lately. Really? He's given you salvation. He's forgiven you of your sins. He's given you a roof over your head. I don't see too many people starving here. You see what I'm saying? You can find something to be thankful for. You know, there's, we can begin, we, we gotta do both. We gotta pray and give thanks because when you give thanks, it helps you in your prayer life. See, this is what he's saying here. Paul is encouraging Timothy that we're to pray. Now, here's who we need to pray for. The next one is, we are to pray for all men. We're to pray for all men. Look at what he says specifically in verse 2. That prayers and intercession and the giving of thanks be made for all men. Hmm. What's he saying here? He's telling you to pray for everybody. Everybody? Who's everybody? Because, well, again, if we're going to pray for people, we tend to pray for people that we what? Like. We pray for family, pray for our friends, pray for folks at the church. But we don't, here's what we're saying though, you've got to move beyond that because the implication of the text is that I'm going to pray for the guy at Walmart who took the last item that I wanted. You know what I mean? Or the parking place, you, you see it's right up front, you don't, it's raining, pouring down dogs and cats, and you're ready, you're, you're just waiting for that old lady with that cart to move out the way so you can get in there, and then somebody comes up from the other side and gets your, and the only one left is way down overlooking I-80. You gotta pray for them. In fact, he doesn't just say, notice something, the implication of the text is, is not just that I pray for all men, but I give thanks for all men. Really? You mean I gotta give thanks for my boss? Yeah. For that coworker? For my enemies? Yes. You have to. You have to. See, you and I are to pray for everyone. This is the reason why we're having problems, my friends. This is the reason why we're not touching anybody for the gospel. It's because we're only praying for a select few people. We're only praying for a select few people. And the reality is, listen to me, the reality is is we've got to move beyond and pray for others. See, we are to pray for all men. So let me ask you a question. Who is it that you're writing off in your life right now? Everybody's got somebody. Who are you writing off? Maybe it's the neighbor. Maybe it's, maybe it's a certain type of person. Who is it that you're writing off? Can, can I be honest with you? Don't they need Jesus too? Should we not be praying for them? See, this is the encouragement. He's telling us to pray, not just pray, but to give thanks for them. I don't know that I give thanks for them. You need to change your heart then. We're to pray. We're to pray for all men. And then he goes one step further. Now, this is going to be the hard one for some of us here. He goes on in verse 2. Notice what he says. For kings and all who are in authority. Here's the other encouragement. We are to pray for those in authority over us. We are to pray for those in authority over us. And now, But here's the tendency that happens. We don't pray for any of them, whether he's our guy or not. But that's not the implication of the Scripture. The implication of the Scripture is is that you and I are to pray for the kings or presidents or governors or mayors, all those who are in authority, period. Now let me give you the context of this passage because you could look there and say, huh, I don't know if I agree with that one. Well, whether you agree with it or not, it's Bible. Here's the reality. I want you to remind yourself, who's writing this letter? Who's writing this letter? Is it George? Who is it? The Apostle Paul. When is he writing this letter? Who is the king at this time? Anybody? Caesar. Now, what kind of guys are Caesars? Are they good guys? Are they in it for the people? Who are they in it for? 
themselves. In fact, they're not just in it for themselves. They're pretty brutal. They rule, Rome ruled with an iron fist. Let me explain something to you. At this point, the authorities, what are they doing to Christians? Persecution. They're persecuting them. They're throwing them into prison. Paul's already been in chains. The next letter he writes to Timothy that we have in our scripture, he is awaiting execution. So here we have a situation where we have Christians who are being persecuted by the authorities, by men who are godless. And what does he say that we are to do about them? We're to pray for them. You know what I'm saying? See, here's the thing. You may not like who's in... I mean, I'm sure he didn't like who was in control. Do you understand? If you said, hey, Paul, are you a Caesar man? I'm sure he would say no. But here's what he's saying. We're to pray for them. See, I'm not just to pray for all men, that includes my enemies. I'm also to pray for those who are in authority over me. So let's just stop for a moment. Who's in authority over you? It isn't just the president or the governor or the mayor, but some of you are in work situations where you have what? Authorities over you. How are you doing? Are you guys praying for, for your boss? Why would I do that? Because the Bible tells you to. That's why. You see how we're picking and choosing the stuff we're doing? See, can I be honest with you? Isn't it any, isn't it any reason why God's not answering our prayers? Because we're not praying right. We're being what with our prayers? Selfish. Well, you say, I prayed for my boss the other day. Yeah, you prayed for him to get sick. Or for God to zap him. Right? That ain't good prayer. It ain't happening. So, so the point is, we're to pray for those who are in authority over. This is the encouragement. So let's go back there. The encouragement, what? We're to pray and give thanks. We're to pray for all men. We're to pray for those who are in authority over us. Now, here's the reason why we need to pray. Here's why we need to pray. Because here's the thing. Is this will enter into your mind. You're thinking, well, the reason why I need to pray is because that's what Christians do is pray. No, no. It's got to be more than that. If that's your whole motivation is, is for me to be a good Christian is to pray then I'm going to be honest with you, you're going to quit praying. Not a good motivation. But I want you to notice what he's saying here. Look with me now, verse 2, the latter part of verse 2, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. The first thing that I want you to notice here that he's saying is a reason for praying is this, so that we can live at peace. How many of you like chaos in your life? Nobody. All of us want to live what? Peaceable lives. We want to be at peace. Listen, let me just stop for a moment. If you think about it, because a lot of times people will say, well, this, that section of verse has to do with praying for kings. I don't think so. I think the implication is it's that we pray for all men. And when I begin to pray for all men, one of the reasons I'm praying for all men is that I can live at peace and live in godliness and live in the life that Christ wants me to live. So let's talk for about it. So, you are beginning, let's say you're at work, you pray for the guys at work so you can live what at peace at work. Because you can have chaos at work real quickly. And some of you have chaos at work, don't you? Because maybe there are people that you're working with who don't know Jesus, who don't care, and they're antagonistic. So you need to begin to pray for them so that you can live at peace at work. Some of you maybe are living in households where your spouse doesn't know Jesus or is not on the same page as you spiritually. And you need to pray for them so that they come to know Jesus Christ so that what? You can live at peace at home. Because if you, because you know it's no peace at home when there's not, not, if both of you are not on the same page spiritually. Isn't that true? So you need to pray for them. You need to pray for kings and those who are in authority so that you can live at peace. And especially live out your Christian life. See, this is the reason for praying. 
This is the reason for praying. We say that sounds awfully selfish. Well, God's given you this reason. I'm going to pray for people to come to know Jesus, pray for people to be influenced by Jesus, pray for people to be moved by Christ so that I can live my life in a peaceable way and grow in godliness. We need to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let's stop for a moment. For those of you who are praying those zap me prayers, or zap them prayers, towards your boss or whatever, here's the thing. Most of those, most of them, let's be honest with you. If they don't know Jesus Christ, the first thing that needs to happen for their life is what? Jesus. And if they do know Jesus, and if they're not living for Jesus, they need to get right with Jesus. So you've got to pray for them to what? Get right. How would, what would your work situation be like if your boss knew Christ and lived for him? Be different, wouldn't it? So what do you got to do? Pray. What do we do? Complain. And let me just show you something. Satan will always give you an opposite to prayer. See, you have a natural tendency to want to talk to somebody about it. And Satan will always give you an opposite from, from talking to God about it. Because that's what prayer is, is talking to God about it. And what happens is, is this, here's what happens. Satan will come up and give you another option. And the other option is always the easier option. And here's what the other option is. The other option is to talk to other people about it. Rather than pray about it, we'll gossip about it. Rather than pray about it, we'll complain about it. Oh, my boss is a pain in the neck. Oh, my boss is this. Oh, my hubby is this. Oh, my wife, I wish she would get real. And we, what do we do? We talk to everybody else but who? God. And here's the thing. When you talk to everybody else, is anything accomplished? No. Well, yeah, there is something accomplished. If I go to Brad all the time and complain about this, that, or another, Brad's going to have an attitude towards that person I'm complaining about. And the only thing that's accomplished is for Satan. But if I talk to God, he changes that person. Or, a lot of times, he changes me. You see my point? A lot is accomplished that way. So Satan always has that opposite. So the first reason is so that we can live at peace. Now here's the other reason. Look with me at verse 3. I mean, you can't get any more straightforward than this. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. The next reason is this. Because it is accepted by God. Let me just kill something here. Some of you are operating under an assumption that, oh yeah, I want to pray. And I really know I need to, but he's not going to accept me. He's not going to hear me. I can't talk to him. And so you live in defeat because of your view of how you think God views you or how, he, how God sees you. And I'm going to be honest with you, my friends. You need to get over it. You need to kill it. It's a lie. Because if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, he accepts you, period. And when you go to him and pray to Him, it's pleasing to Him that you come and talk to Him. But don't you remember, for those of you who have kids, and some of you have little ones now, I want you to think about this. When, when your little one came up to you and said, Daddy, can you do this? Can you take care of this? I remember when, when ours were young, and something was broke, and at that point they believed Daddy could do everything. And I remember Maddie coming and bringing this toy that was broke and saying, Daddy, fix. And you know, and here's the thing. They believe you can fix it, don't they? And you know what? You, you feel good that they come to you and say, Daddy, fix. Now, if you can't fix it, you hide it. You get rid of it. Because you, you don't want it to be destroyed in their thoughts that Daddy can't fix that. But you try to fix it, and if it can't, you just get rid of it or you get another one. But, I mean, the point is, 
you remember how those feelings of delight you had, that, how pleased you were that they came to you? My friend, God feels that when we come to Him. And we go to Him and say to Him, God, I need you. God, I'm desperate for you. Please work. You're my hope. You're my only hope. And it's accepted. God is accepted. In fact, here's the thing. You know, you go over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we have a great high priest who intercedes on our behalf. And because of that, I can enter into the throne room of God boldly, knowing that I'm going to receive grace and mercy. But so many of us live in defeat because we're listening to lies. And some of you here are not praying because you've listened to a lie that says that God doesn't accept you. But my friends, the reason for praying is that He does accept you. He does love you. He does care for you. There's one other reason here. The other reason, I want you to notice with me verse 4 through 6, because this is the heart of God. Look at what it says there. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in the faith and truth. Here's what it's saying. It reflects the heart of God. See, when I'm praying for others and I'm praying specifically that they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and I'm praying for them if they know Jesus that they begin to walk in victory and that they begin to become the people that God has called them to be, I, by my prayers, am reflecting the heart of God. What's the heart of God? He's willing that none should perish. He wants your boss to get saved. He wants your spouse to get saved. He wants your loved ones to get saved. He wants the people that you're rubbing shoulders with in a restaurant or you're bumping into at Walmart. He wants them to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so when you pray for them, you're reflecting the heart of God. God, save them, because I know you want to save them. Let me just stop for a moment. I can't make that point any stronger than that. I think the reason why we don't pray for the salvation of our loved ones the way we should, or the salvation of people around us, even the people we don't like, is because we haven't grasped the heart of God. And God doesn't want any to perish. God wants them all to come to salvation. God wants them all to know Jesus. And we need to start praying for people to come to Christ. My friends, there are 15,000 people in our area here, most of who are going to hell. Has that not gripped you? My friends, it grips the heart of God. He sent His Son Jesus for them. It reflects the heart of God. That's a, if that's not enough reason to pray, I don't know what is. You know, in fact, as I'm speaking here, I'm rebuked. You say, what do you mean you're rebuked? We just go to town. We go shopping as we normally go shopping. We live our lives. We go to work. We complain about people. And it never enters into our mind that the people who are walking around us, the people that we interact with, if they don't know Jesus, they're going to a Christless eternity. But we're okay. No, we're not. We're calloused. And our hearts are hardened to the reality of the people around us who need Jesus. See, I need to start praying because it reflects the heart of God. And God cares about people. He cared about you. He cares about them cares about them. Thank you for being with us this morning. We trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. Before we leave you today, George would like to share some special news about an upcoming event. Friends, we want to thank you for being a regular listener to the Heart Zone program. 
At Kerwinsville Christian Church, we are encouraging our folks to become men and women of God's Word. In an effort to help them achieve this, we have provided them with a Bible reading guide. We would like to provide that Bible reading guide to our listeners. If you would like a guide, simply write or call us to request one. There is no charge. The guides are free. Simply contact us at Kerwinsville Christian Church, 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania, 16833. Or you can call us at 814-236-1622. We want you to become a man or woman of God's Word. So contact us and request a free guide. Once again, thanks for being a faithful listener. And may God bless you and all that you face this coming week.